0: This is episode 222 of the Books, Shows, Tunes, and Mad Acts podcast. This episode is titled, How to Not Be Mad. Welcome to Books, Shows, Tunes, and Mad Acts, the show about stuff we like. I'm your host, Jennifer Crittenden, and sometimes I'm lucky enough to be joined by my co-host, Bill Aho, who has an ear for good music and an eye for the extraordinary. Books, shows, tunes, and mad acts is brought to you by Discreet Guide, a training company for improving your speaking and writing skills. We hope you enjoy the show. I am so pleased to have a friend and returning guest on the show today. Corinne Davis is with us. Corinne, welcome to the show again.
1: Thank you, Jennifer. So happy to be here.
0: I'll introduce her. Uh, Corinne is the founder and CEO of the See It Station, a coaching company in the areas of self-mastery and self-enrichment. Corinne received her bachelor's degree in psychology from Oakland University and her life coach certification from the Coach Training Alliance. She has spent 30 years studying and applying lessons from personal development programs, courses, and mentors. Her latest endeavor is developing Cal Rock Ranch a retreat center for girls who have survived sex trafficking. And also, I should mention, uh, I published, or my company, Whistling Rabbit Press, published Corinne's book, Useful Questions, A Guide to Self-Coaching, which was an opportunity for me to get to know Corinne. And I really wanted to have her on the show today to talk to us about anger and anger management because I'm really seeing people suffer a lot from anger right now. And I think Corinne might be able to give us some insights as to what's happening there and how we can avoid some of the pitfalls of being angry. Uh, So I do feel like Americans are pretty mad right now. I just uh, seem to detect it in online posts, uh, websites, interactions with friends and family. Or at least, you know, people sort of on the brink of anger, like inclined toward anger. anger. So, Corinne, what are you seeing?
1: Well, I definitely agree with that. I mean, I I think this is really unprecedented. I can't recall a time in my lifetime, and and I'm getting up there, in the level of hostility and vitriol that just seems to be ever-present right now. I think there are a lot of reasons for it. I, I, I think, you know, you've got the normal life stressors, relationship issues, kid issues, work issues, all that. Plus, you've got normal life, big events often, you know, the death of parents or you get fired from a job or things like that happen. Um, and then on top of that, we've got all this other craziness going on, like the last couple of years of COVID and everything that, that that's swirled around that and we've got things that are going on globally, like what's happening with Russia and the Ukraine right now. Like it's just, it's so elevated and escalated right now. And I think people just are not accustomed to having to deal with this level of stress. And I don't think we're trained on how to deal with it. And it's also exacerbated by technology, like technology. Listen, I am a technology fan. I think it's, it's been incredibly instrumental in making our lives better, but it's also a double-edged sword, right? First of all, it's, it, it, it has outpaced our lives. There was a great quote uh, by Jeff Goldblum's character in a movie in 1995 called Powder, and he said, it's become appallingly clear that our technology has exceeded or superseded, I think he said, exceeded our humanity. Mm. And I think that's happened to us. And I think that it's, it's created such a crazy pace. It's accelerated the pace of life so much, and we're just trying to adapt and we're just not really adequately prepared for that. And I think everybody feels like they're, well, everybody, a lot of people feel like they're in a pressure cooker and pressure cooker's been the burner. The fire has been turned up to high and <laughs> the, the lid's about to blow.
0: Yeah. I get the sense from. Some of the statistics that we're seeing, too, that anger might be a factor in some of those. I don't know if you saw the video of the guy in Florida who pulled out a gun and started shooting up his own car. Because someone honked at him, mm-hmm. and there's a full video of that, and other things in the news that road rage incidents rose significantly in 2021, 20 percent increase in those. Many of them now enhanced by guns, and so 500 people died in the U.S. in road rage shootings. That that's a pretty surprising number. 5%. It is, and then driving in general, just being more aggressive, mm-hmm. deaths estimated now to be 46,000 in 2021, that's up 9% compared to 2020, but up 18% compared to 2019. You know, it's like it just keeps accelerating, right? Almost literally. literally. Okay, and then everyone is complaining about a lack of civility just in political discourse, you know, just downright rudeness, right? That that right. Uh, previously maybe people were just a little bit more careful about the way they behave. But I do feel as though a lot of people feel as though they're justified in being angry, you know, sort of, there's an implication that if you're not mad, you're not awake. So that seems to me that, you know, there's kind of a problem that, that we get into with that. That's really a cycle, right? It's like, we're being told these things are wrong. And if you're not mad about them, then you're wrong. So, you yeah, know, what do you think about that?
1: Well, a few things came up while you were talking there. One of them is I I couldn't agree more about the level of political discourse. You know, people for a long time were able to disagree without being hateful toward each other. There was civility in the disagreement. You still respected the person, even if you didn't agree with their opinion, and you were respectful to the person, even though you didn't agree with their opinion. And there was civility then. And I think uh, within the last number of years, we've been given in quotes, permission to be hateful and spiteful and to be hostile in our speech and incendiary, it's created the mess that we have now. And I think that really one of the ways to give back, there is a, there are a lot of things going on in the world right now that, that, justify anger if you will. There's and I and I don't think righteous indignation is a bad thing. In fact, I do think that if if, if you're not feeling righteous indignation right now, you probably aren't awake. But there's a big difference between feeling righteous indignation and spewing hate and violent speech and incendiary, inflammatory uh, sentiments everywhere. There's a big difference between that and using your righteous indignation as fuel to do something positive to Impact the world in those particular issues. You know, for me, it's trafficking. Am I outraged at what's going on in the world with with the level of human trafficking? Completely. Does it mean that I'm going to go spew hate about you know the the traffickers and the pimps and the blah, blah, blah? No, I'm not because why? It's not productive. It doesn't get me any closer to the goals I'm trying to achieve. So I'm going to channel that into my niche is the recovery and you know, teaching, facilitating, thriving in these women. And other people have niches of educating and letting people become aware of what's happening. So there's there are a lot of different pieces to it. Prevention, of course. But it doesn't help to rail against the things that you're righteously indignant about. If you want to do something about it, then get active in whatever that cause is.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting that you brought up this idea of permission to be angry, that that's an acceptable outlet for your anger. Because I do think a lot of people feel tremendous frustration. And so they don't know yes. what to do about the things that they're pissed off about, <laughs> to use another word. So yeah, so there's a sense of you're frustrated, you're feeling out of control, as though there aren't things that you can do. So you lash out, right? And and that that's considered an okay thing to do, right? To smash and yeah, damage, uh, d- be destructive because of that anger. So yeah, it's permission and also. An outlet, right, for that. Yep. To go back a second, so you know this idea of being sort of pre-mad, right? I feel as though people are in this state where they're just ready to pounce, right? And I, and I don't blame them for that, right? This is a natural reaction to things that we're experiencing. What problems do you see about going around with that kind of tension inside of you?
1: Well, first of all, it's a miserable way to live. And and that's the thing that I find. So you use the word suffering in the beginning of this interview. And and I do think people are suffering from that. It is not, it's a very uncomfortable, unpleasant way to live, to go around angry or pre-angry all the time. I've done it. I've lived, I lived a long time like that. And I can, I can attest to the fact that it is not a fun way to live. So that's primary is that people don't need to live that way. They don't need to experience that kind of suffering because it is to a large degree Mm self-induced by the reactions to the events rather than the events themselves. And it also, of course, if everybody's walking around primed to be angry, it takes the the slightest, Mm -hmm. most insignificant event to trigger. And then you've got what we've got now. You've got all these crazy videos coming out of people that are doing insane things like shooting up their own cars. I mean, it's escalated to a, a point that's beyond crazy because we're not taught the coping mechanisms. We're not taught how to recognize what what triggers ourselves. And we're quite frankly, not taught, number one, to take care of ourselves in a a way that doesn't allow ourselves to get to that level. And also we're not taught that that's our responsibility to other human beings in our lives and to society at large. My sisters and I converse about this all the time. If one of us is feeling depleted or in some way, like we're pre-med and we're going to snap at something... We just don't participate in a group activity or we remove ourselves until we can get ourselves into a state where we're more appropriate to be around. You know, it's kind of like when you were a little kid and your parents said, go to your room and come out when you can be nice. We have to learn how to do that for ourselves. Like if we're, and we have to learn to recognize when we're feeling where the pressure cooker is about to snap. The ideal thing, of course, would be to treat ourselves in such a fashion and develop thought patterns that allow us to not get to that point in the first place. But if we are at that point and if something traumatic has happened or we we just have been not taking care of ourselves the way we should be, then don't put yourselves in situations where it might become inflammatory or where it might just turn up the heat on the pressure cooker.
0: Wow. That really seems like smart advice to me. Cause I think a lot of times we can tell ourselves when we've, Yeah, we're kind of in a pretty tense state and we know a small thing is going to set us off. But other people may not necessarily know that, right? And so that's where you get these things where someone teases you and you have a very negative reaction. And really, maybe it would have been up to me before I got to that stage to say, I think I better go for a walk. And maybe this isn't the right time to get on social media, right? Because I do think social media tends to trigger a lot of this. For sure. Uh, you know, people are mad, yeah, they get on social media and then they snap and post something that maybe they regret later mm-hmm. or post something that's really damaging, really hurts someone's feelings. So yeah, yeah that's that seems like really good advice to me. Sort of keep an eye on yourself, right? <laughs>
1: A lot of this is about self-regulation, which is, you know, it's a really important thing that I think that's kind of gone by the wayside. And I think it's really important to reintroduce that or or work on getting that back in, because it seems to have really just almost vanished in our society today. But you just reminded me of something else when you were saying that. So if you have this is a really cool tactic. It's not mine. I'll share who it came from in a second. But uh, if you have somebody that you can be partners with, whether it's your spouse or a friend or, you know, an accountability partner whatever, Uh, Brene Brown talks about she had a funny incident with her husband, Steve, about she ended up spilling some coffee on herself before she was going for an interview. And and she was really mad. And so she blamed it on how he loaded the coffee pot or something to that effect. It was ridiculous. And she recognized that it was her stuff. And so they had a conversation later and they decided to come up with a system where when they walked in the door, they would say to each other they would give each other a number from one to a hundred. I'm oh, wow. at, I'm at 90. Days, great, right. You're like, well, that's good. Cause I'm only at 20. And she'd be like, don't worry, babe, I got you. Okay. And sometimes you walk in and both people are only at 25 and then you know what, go to your separate corners and just take care of yourself until you can be a civilized human being. Sometimes you're both at ninety, and that's great. But then, in the days when one's up and one's down, you can kind of cover for each other, or fill in fill in the holes, or you know, just assist a little better. And it, it's nice if you've got a, a person in your life that you can do that with.
0: Yeah, that seems really lovely, actually. Right. It and it brings to mind this whole prep pressure cooker idea, right? That. Yeah. We're, we're at a certain setting that means we're about to blow. So yeah, watch out. (laughs) We should, we should have little monitors on our heads. Right. But (laughs) so when you encounter somebody at the grocery store, who's just steaming mad and you don't even realize it. And then, yeah, (laughs) he's like, okay, stay away from the woman on aisle three. She's about to
1: blow. Robinson, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah. And the other thing that you said that that I thought was really important and critical is the social media thing. You know, there's so, again, it's such a double edged sword. There's so much good that comes out of social media. There's also a a whole lot of bad. And again, it's a tool that we're using and it's really important on how we use it and the intentionality we have with it because. Part of the problem is the anonymity and you can make up fake IDs, you can whatever, and then you can just go on and hate anonymously. And I think what we need to remember in that. So I, there's a story that I tell in the book that I love about these two little fish, the two little young adolescent male fish, and they're swimming up the river and they come also just old man fish and he's coming the other way. And the old man fish says, Hey boys, how's the water? And they're like, okay, good, whatever. Fine. And they swim past. And one says to the other one, what's water? And the, the the point of it is what you're surrounded in, your normal environment, your normal thought patterns, your normal behavior patterns, your community, everything becomes so ubiquitous to you that you don't even recognize what's happening in it. But I'll tell you, it is the soup that we all live in. And when you are spewing hate, even when you're anonymous on the internet, when you're being incendiary, when you're when you're trying to make trouble, when you're being a pot stirrer, you're just making the suit more miserable for all of us. And what's happened is it's become really acrid and acidic. And so, so now I think what's really important is for the people that are conscious and intentional and want to be doing something good about it to start putting the opposite out there, to start pointing out the things that are being done, that are helpful, that are good, that are being remedies for problems that, and brainstorming together and, It's really important to take the opposite tact of the haters and to point out the good and to point out what's possible and to work toward what's possible. You know, I love that saying when somebody says, oh, that's impossible. Okay. Until it isn't, because a lot of things used to be impossible and they're not anymore. So let's start talking about what's possible. Let's start talking about how to make it better. Let's start making it better. Let's let's engage in that conversation and maybe even drown out the haters with that kind of thing. So I think the anonymity of the internet is is problematic, and and again, the, just the kind of the permission that we've been given. But just because you can do something, just because you've been given permission to do something, doesn't mean you should. And so I think it's incumbent on everybody to to look at. Is this helpful? Does this advance the agenda that I'm trying to advance? And there are going to be people who want to advance the agenda of hate. And for the rest of us, we're just not going to engage with that. You know, we're going to promote the agenda of, you know, more peace. And for me, it comes down to the the final thing that I compare everything to. The final barometer was the word I was looking for for me is Am I conducting myself at my highest and best? Am I conducting myself in a way that I'm proud of and that I think because I'm Christian and I believe in God and Jesus. And am I conducting myself in a way that they would be proud of me? And if the answer to those two questions is yes, then I'm on track. And if it's not, then I need to figure out what I need to do to get back on track.
0: Now, it's the thing I really loved about your book, of course, I, since Whistling Rabbit Press published it, of course, I loved your book, but it's one of the things that I thought differentiated it from other self-help books was the idea of internal exploration and that you can find a lot of answers in yourself, right? You don't necessarily have to turn to somebody else to find those answers, And so this idea of useful questions, I thought was really compelling and really useful. And so that was one of the reasons I wanted to have you come on the show today too, was to help us use questions in such a way that they can help us not be mad, right? So that's a really great one. You know, am I being my best self? And a lot of times I think we're pretty quick to conclude yes or no. Are there other questions that you can think of that people could use to kind of get to the bottom of their feelings and maybe potentially diff- diffuse them?
1: Yeah, definitely. And and I actually do talk about this in the book in the in the self awareness section of it, I believe, because that's kind of where my journey started with it. Uh, first of all, thank you for the compliment on the book. And listen, it wouldn't be half book it is without you having been publishing and editing it because that was uh, it. It just transformed that what I had going on. So thank thank you for that. Um, But I I think there are questions that you start with, like, just if you start by becoming aware when you're agitated or aware when you're feeling not your highest and best or whatever, like, I still to this day, like, if I'm feeling a little off, I go, what am I, what just happened? Like, what did I, what thought did I just have that created me feeling icky like this? Like, or, or maybe there's something specific, like somebody spoke Cruelly to you, or you, you got a bad review at work, whatever. Maybe there's a specific incident, but maybe more often, I think it's a thought that you had. Mm. And, you know, what did I think there? Katie Byron has a phenomenal line of questioning that she uses. And it starts with Is that true? Is that really true? Mm. And, and sometimes it's not, because a lot of the times we tell ourselves a narrative, and sometimes the narrative is inflammatory. Sometimes it's making matters worse. And like to go back and look at that narrative and say, Is, is that really true? And even if it is true, how could I make it better? You know how could I how could I frame that differently so that I don't it's not creating this this awful feeling inside me. If your parent was not very nice to you or whatever, and you assumed it was because they really liked your older sister better, some crazy thing like that, then is that is that true? Number one, maybe maybe not. Is it a good narrative for you either way? Probably not. So what's a different narrative you could tell yourself? Wow, maybe I did something that really inflamed them maybe they're just having a really bad day and I'm close to them. And so of course this would happen or just pick a different frame that serves you better. And that allows you to move through the negativity in a, in a healthy way, allows you to move through the negativity and, and get back to being your highest and best and moving forward in whatever direction you've decided that you intend to go.
0: In the book, I hope I'm not telling a story on you here, but in the book you share a story about having a bad reaction to being honked at. So yeah, tell us that story and tell us especially how how you think you would avoid having that happen today.
1: For sure. So uh it was actually my my mother and stepdad had come to California to look into buying a condominium they found something they liked. And so they asked my sister and I to take the day off and come look at the condo with them, which we did and we loved it. And so they were going to buy it. So the realtor was taking us to lunch. And at the time, Carlsbad, which is where they bought it, was a very small, quaint little town, had one little main street. Everybody knew everybody else. (laughs) And so we, the realtor parks the car and we all get out of the car to walk across the street. And uh, this woman honks, she lays on her horn. and, And I was immediately in her face. Like I was like, What's your problem, Lady Bella? <laughs> like assuming she was, she was walking at me because I was jaywalking, or I was doing something. So number one, there's the narrative, right? Like I'm, I told myself that she was mad. Number one, I told myself that she was mad at me. Number two, and I told myself she was mad at me because I was jaywalking in front of her car. None of those things were true. What the reality of the situation was the realtor and she was talking to say hello, which was mortifying by the way. And it was a big, big lesson. Um, but it, it forced me to look at, wow, what, what is my, what have I allowed my life to become that I'm walking around with this level of stress? This is not okay. And I don't want to live like this. Like it's not, it's not good. So, um, that's the kind of thing where if you're practicing proper self-care and you've done the work and I, I do think that's a big thing. Let me get back to done the work in a second, but if you've done the work, then you won't, First of all, doing the work doesn't mean you're never going to lose your temper. It doesn't mean you're never going to get mad. It doesn't mean you're never going to be upset. It doesn't mean life's not going to throw any garbage your way. It means that the frequency with which you are upset is going to decrease dramatically and the duration of it is going to decrease dramatically. And you just learn how to adapt to those things better. And so you spend less time in the yuck. For me, it's worth doing the work. Like, it's is the work fun? No. Does it take a long time? It's actually lifelong. But if you do the work, when I say the work, I mean, getting to know yourself emotionally and mentally, knowing what your triggers are, figuring out how to practice enough self-care that you don't get yourself into those situations. If you're willing to do the work, it's certainly worth it. And so um, at that point, I just decided I needed to do the work. And um, I'd actually had started a couple of years before that I was pretty new into it, but it, it definitely highlighted where I still had holes and where I still needed to do some serious work. So that was, that was helpful. And there's another story in the book that I would just like to talk about for a second, because I I think it's relevant to this. It's the story you'll be familiar with it about feeding your good wolf. And so it's, it tags on to a story that is popular on the internet could be urban myth. I don't know, but the story is basically, there's a native American, elder who's talking to the children in the tribe, one of whom is his grandson. And he's explaining that, that there's a war being fought over him by the bad wolf, which represents the negative emotions as we call them, you know, hate, greed, anger, lust, whatever. And then that wolf is fighting with the good wolf and the good wolf represents what we typically think of as positive emotions, like love and gratitude and happiness and joy and faith and all that. And so they're fighting for, they're, they're warring over the grandfather's soul. And the, and the little boy stands up and he's very upset. And the grandfather explains that the same, these same wolves are fighting over everybody. And the little boy stands up and he's very upset. And he says, well, grandfather, grandfather, which wolf will win? And the grandfather says, whichever one you feed. And I remember being very impacted by that story when I, when I first heard it. And then years later, somebody asked me, well, what's the most important thing you learned in the last five years? And what I realized was that I had learned that it's not enough to just feed the good wolf you have to feed the good wolf in quality and proportion sufficient that the good wolf can win over the bad wolf. Mm -hmm. And that means different things for different people. First of all, you have to recognize what your good wolf food is. You have to recognize when your good wolf is feeling uh, depleted or diminished and needs to be fed when when I call her she, when she's hungry, when she's thirsty, you have to give her the food that allows her to fend off the bad wolf. You know, for me, that's taking on a lot of, taking in a lot of positive from other, from outside sources, for example, your podcast or other uplifting podcasts, you know, problem solving, that kind of thing, reading a good book, listening to great music, getting out in nature. I, I have a great outdoor bathtub, taking a bath in my outside bathtub. So I know the things very well that feed my good wolf. And I, but it's not enough to just do those one, you know, a little bit at a time and you have to pay attention to what's going on in your life. So if you have a particularly stressful situation going on, you're going to up the good wolf food. I'm sorry, because if you don't, the bad wolf, the bad wolf is getting fed by a myriad of sources. And if you are not cognizant of how much bad wolf food that that wolf is getting, that wolf is going to just be get stronger and more powerful. And before you know it, it's taken over the good wolf and you're in a state of constant stress and misery.
0: You and I have talked before about the power of anger and that it is it's a pretty useful go-to emotion when you compare it to some of the other things like grief or sorrow. So uh, that's definitely been my habit over my life is instead of breaking down in tears or uh, becoming incapacitated by grief or sorrow or depression, I'll turn to anger, right? That that there's something very empowering feeling about being angry. And so that I think that's a crutch, right? For, For a lot of us with some downsides <laughs> as it turns out. Uh-huh. So talk a little bit about the pluses and minus minuses of using anger as a coping mechanism and, and how do we give it up because there are, are a lot of things that are appealing about it.
1: Yeah um there's a couple of things about this first of all i'm I'm gonna take umbrage with the word empowering. I think it can make you feel powerful but I don't think it is empowering. And this is something I'm sort of coming to lately, very lately. Um, Because I too have done that my whole life. I I do not enjoy the feeling of vulnerability, although I've come to recognize it as a strength. It's still not a fun feeling. Um, I do not enjoy the feeling of being weak or incapacitated or I I just can't stand any of that. So my go-to has been to shift that into anger, but it was never conscious. And over the years, it became reflexive. Like I, I, I almost skipped over the hurt, or I skipped over the righteous indignation. I went immediately to anger, and so I spent a lot of time in it. Like I, I it's a very familiar thing for me, and it's way more comfortable than those other mm-hmm. softer, more typically feminine emotions. And I, it's still very hard for me to to recognize. Okay, this this anger is a secondary emotion to what. So then the questions come back in, right? Like, what am I, what preceded me feeling angry? Oh, my sister said this and it really, really hurt me. And then I have to deal with what's in the hurt. And what do I want to do about that? Do I want to chalk it off to her having a bad day? Do I want to have a conversation with her about it? Do I want to use it to make myself better? Was there something? Was there a lesson in there for me? Was there so then you can start to use it as a tool? And I think it's fine to feel anger. And I'm gonna have a caveat there, as long as you don't exacerbate it and fuel it because at that point you start to lose cognitive functioning you start to lose access to your prefrontal cortex your amygdala hijacks hijack your brain and you now you're just emotional and you're not thinking straight anymore so to the extent that you have enough self-regulatory and self-mastery ability to uh, keep it below a certain threshold level I think it can be useful as a as a fuel to move away from something even though I prefer moving towards something, I think it can be useful as a fuel, but you you have to be self-aware and self-adept enough to really be able to manage those levels.
0: Yeah, I think we're going to circle back to sort of channeling and anger in a few minutes, but I want to go back to this post that I saw in my neighborhood website. Yeah, these posts and then the reactions to them sometimes are just like amazing to me these days. Yeah, people just, yeah flipping out over things. So this one woman had this kind of sweet post really in the midst of all this, you know, fighting and shooting and running into each other and killing everybody. She posted this sort of advice about finding common ground with neighbors, especially neighbors, right? And that she was you know, essentially calling for peace, you know, and and suggesting that people uh, remember that we live in the same village together and that we share a lot of things. Our children go to the same school, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) To my surprise, I didn't think much of it when I saw the post, but to my surprise, people just got enraged by this post. Oh, I'm getting the giggles because it was just so, uh, so shocking to me. So basically, many of the comments said back to her, look, if you're the type of person who's willing to tolerate other viewpoints that are wrong and bad, then you are the problem. And so the only proper attitude toward you is combative, right? That you're that you're the problem and you are wrong and you are bad. She took her post down. And, you know, that's kind of sad, really, that she um, felt so... Uh, undone, right? That the only solution that she saw was to take that post down. So here we had someone calling for peace who was actually, you know, really pushed out of the conversation. But I do feel as though there's this this kind of peer pressure also exists, right? It's not always just from ourselves. And like me, you know, with my go-to for grief as a um, alternative to grief, for example. But I do feel like there's sort of this peer pressure now that exists that you're only right uh, if you're mad. So are there any particular traps you think that we should watch out for?
1: Well, yeah, I think, first of all, it's interesting that you're bringing up that post because somebody else just talked to me about it this morning. I think there was a reaction to that post where the woman used the term toxic positivity. And I've never heard that term before. It was kind of shocking to me. And I was like, "Whoa!" Uh, I think we could use a little toxic positivity in this world, but I, I think I understand <laughs> what she means. You can't just throw pink paint over everything and pretend nothing's wrong because that doesn't solve anything either. Um, but I, I do think number one, the aspect of social media that where people are always engaged in number one comparing, number mm-hmm. two uh, engaging with dissenting opinions, and ineffective and hostile way. Mm -hmm. I think those are easy things to avoid. I think the key factor here is being able to recognize what's within our control and what isn't. There's enough frustration in having to learn all these new, all these new things that come through technology that have sped up our world. We've got enough frustration in that. We've got enough frustration when we're trying to work remotely and nothing's working. We've got enough frustration when we're trying to, you know, there are a lot of people that are trying to work from home and still parent from home. And it, mm-hmm. it, it's a little better now because most of the kids are back in school. But there's a lot of that stuff going on generally. There's a, there are a number of ele- elevated sources of frustration in our world today. But we'll, let's not make it worse. You know, yeah. let's not engage in that kind of activity and that kind of dialogue that, that just makes it worse. Here's what I think people don't understand. There used to be back in the day uh, psychological <laughs> trainings where you where you released your anger by you know hitting a pillow or you had foam bats and you were hitting each other or whatever. All it does is fuel the anger and and make it worse and it and it just turns up the temperature on the pressure cooker. It seems like you're gonna open the lid and let us a little bit of steam out, but that's not what it does. It elevates it. We're becoming enraged about things that we have no control over. This is a very key point. If you are going to focus on things that you have no control over and that you cannot impact one way or another, and they upset you, that is a prescription for misery. I promise you, if you want to be miserable, if you want to feel hateful, (laughs) if you want to feel angry, Focus on something you don't have any control over that you hate. It's really simple. And people are doing it all the time. Mm -hmm. So it's incumbent on everybody. There is a lot of external pull toward those things, but people have to be self-regulated enough, we're back to that, to say, what am I focusing on here? And maybe I do want to focus, me, I, I want to focus on trafficking. I do. It's a horrible, awful thing. And I'm enraged about it. But guess what? I'm in the arena. I'm trying to do something to help the situation. And so that then makes it not it's not frustrating. It's still, it still is upsetting. It's still, I still have righteous indignation about it, but I, I'm not frustrated because I'm in the arena doing something about it. So if you're going to focus on something that you don't, that you don't have control over, but you can impact, then focus on where your impact can be. So those are your choices, really focus on something you don't have control over that you're upset about, be miserable. Give your attention to something that is not right in the world that you can have some impact on and have the impact. Do the work. get involved. volunteer, contribute money, whatever and make it better. Or you can also do the thing of, you know, close your eyes and pretend it doesn't exist. But always in all of those, if your if your core compass is to come back to, am I conducting myself in my highest and best in the way that I'm responding to this post, in the way that I'm posting something, in the way that I'm, conducting my life and my relationships. And if that's your barometer, if that's your compass, you're going to have a lot better experience of life. I'm going
0: to ask you to speculate here because I do see that we seem to be drawn to inflammatory things, right? It's funny how, is this just human nature that we tend to want to turn on some super mad talk show and watch somebody rant and rave I mean, what, what, what kick do you think we're getting out of that? Because we, we, as human beings, we do seem to be drawn to things that, that provoke a kind of emotional reaction like that, right? More anger rather than love, right? So do you have any idea what's happening there?
1: Well, that's funny that you say that. So number one, I have to just do it as a disclaimer that this is completely personal opinion. I have no science to back any of this up, but here's my here's my take on it. Uh, a couple of things. Number one, this does have scientific fact base actually. We are hardwired to self-protect and to our survival mechanisms come into effect. And so we need to notice things that are that could be detrimental to our well-being. We need we need to notice those from a biological standpoint. So I think we're hardwired to notice that stuff mm. more. From that standpoint, that would make sense. But I think there's also another aspect to it. There's a premier researcher on infidelity. Her name is Esther Perel. And she said that without exception, any of the couples that have come into her office for marital counseling after one has been unfaithful, she, she hears some form of this sentence. It made me feel alive. Oh, wow. Yeah. And a lot of times I think that that's what's happening with this stuff. You know, life can be very you can really get life doldrums if you're not intentionally engaged in making that happen otherwise so you know it's the laundry still has to be done and the food still has to be shopped for and cooked and cleaned up after and the kids still have to be taken to school and and the bills still have to be paid and it's boring and it's doldrums and it's mundane and it's miserable and sometimes something exciting takes you out of that even if it's not beneficial Mm -hmm. but I think there are other of us others of us that are wired to get excited about the good stuff. Like Mike Rowe has an internet show. I don't know if it's still on, but I loved it. It was a Facebook show where he would go uh, anonymously into different cities or different towns. People would write in and say, this person has been doing this good in the community and they would go and do a story about them. And then and then give them some gift. So there was one that was about the firefighters that lost their lives in that wildfire in Arizona. And they donated a life-size bronze statue to the entrance of the park where they're memorialized and got better equipment for the firefighters. And there was another one in New Orleans where these people were still trying to put back together after Katrina. And so he, he was highly, and I loved that show. Like I lived for that show because it was so great to see somebody pointing out the goodness because, because that's the thing. you know, You know. It's your choice how you want to react to these scenarios. Do you want to just get pissed off and stomp your feet and criticize and, and be hateful? Or do you want to do something good and help out? It's your choice, and it's going to definitely impact the the experience that you have in your life.
0: It's really interesting about the infidelity. Uh, I was watching a show, and it was about an affair. And the person who had the affair was attempting to justify what he had done to a family friend. Of course, he was having a very hard time doing that because the family friend was very judgmental and felt that 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 was you know an extremely wrong thing that he had done. And so the philandering husband said to him, "I actually think it was brave and he said, and I still think that And the friend just goes off on him about, yeah th- this is not brave but you know there there was something about what he said that I'm sure a lot of people can relate to. And I do wonder mm-hmm. if it's a little bit of a sign of, of for some of us, our modern life, and that we don't really have much to be brave about, right? That our lives are, as you say, fairly taken care of. I mean, there's there's drudgery to it, but we're relatively safe, right? We're you know, we're not struggling for survival, mostly if we're middle class and in, in the United States. So I wonder if there is something about this. Yeah, I think it was brave. I think it was exciting. It brought some life in, you know, when we do something bad, that we get that charge, that adrenaline charge from it, maybe, maybe we're just not threatened enough. But you know, that's something for us to think about when we gravitate toward ugliness, right? Whether it's a Hateful talk show, or vitriol, or people venting and screaming, or you know, fighting. That yeah, maybe we're just looking for a little excitement, and there might be a healthier way to get that excitement. I don't know. What do you think?
1: That's exactly the point. And when I heard her say that, it it really shook me to my core because I thought, well, what? How would it look like? What would it be like? Here's my questions again, right? What would it be like? How would it look if we if we intentionally pursued things that make us feel alive that are positive and uplifting and enrich our lives and that we could take home and share with our spouses or, um, or our kids or short. I mean, I think a lot of adrenaline junkies, that's, that's their bent. That's how they, that's mm-hmm. where they feel alive. But I think yeah. there are other ways, you know, maybe you have a passion for painting and when you go look at a phenomenal landscape that you're going to paint, that makes you feel alive. Maybe your, your thing is you love to create a beautiful, original, unique, dish when you're cooking. Maybe that makes you feel alive. Like, just let's just start focusing on the things that make us feel joy and happiness and aliveness that aren't detrimental to other people.
0: Yeah. I wonder if it's almost a lack of imagination. That the only thing we know to do is to turn on some show that we always watch, right? And maybe we just need to be more inventive and thoughtful about, I mean, it's almost a form of laziness, right? It's like, oh, let's go just go do this thing that we always do, turn on some irritating show or go on social media and have the same reactions to things that we used to have. I don't know. I could imagine that, yeah, we just get stuck in our ways, right? Those ways can be pretty negative.
1: Yeah. And I think it has become habituated, but you you bring up another point about the shows like there, there are also things that you can use from those. Like when you get on social media and there's angry discourse happening you know, maybe that's a good place to start asking the questions like, what are these people really angry about and what could we do about it? And how do I feel about it? And what do I want to do about it? Is there a positive way that I can impact this? Is it even important enough to me to do something about this? I think that social media and also television shows and movies, I'm I'm addicted to 1883 right now. And I, what I love about it is the main character, Elsa, is a, she's a high spirited, um, non-conforming, alive human being. Like she, she's just on fire and she's alive. And every moment is she's open. And I thought, I want to be more like Elsa, you know, so you can extract from those shows, either things that point out to you what you never want to be and how you never want to behave, you know, maybe Beth in Yellowstone, um, or you can look <laughs> at them and, and say, Wow, maybe I really like maybe you watch a documentary on extreme sports and you go, wow, I really would like to go try, you know, whatever, doing motorcycle jumps or whatever it is. A lot of people have this thing about like, well, I don't know what my passion is. I don't know what my mission is. Well, you know what? The first thing is to start paying attention. What what do you what sparks anything in you? You know what lights you up or what even makes you feel a little if you're so closed down that you can't even feel like excitement or passion about anything because I there I think that's prevalent in depression a lot, then then just start paying attention to the more subtle aspects of that. Like what might maybe pique your interest? What might make you a little inquisitive, you know? And and start there and just expand on that and experiment, you know, try different things. I think those are more positive ways to make yourself feel alive so that you're not getting sucked into the the negativity that can also give you that feeling of aliveness, but to, to what end and to whose detriment.
0: The New York Times apparently asked a psychologist in Kiev about how things were going and so she said well you know anger and hate in this situation is a normal reaction and it's important to validate that and then she said it's also important to channel it into something useful so her advice was to build incendiary bombs out of empty bottles which might not be what we want to advocate for on this podcast <laughs> but do you have do you have some ideas about you know channeling anger
1: So I think the whole channeling thing, for me, it goes back to the self-regulation again, number one, to recognize the things that trigger you, that make you angry to figure out either why that's happening and do something about that. Or sometimes it's just a matter of you got to stay away from those things and those people, you know, if if that's a given and that's going to be what's going to happen from it and there's no good to come from it and there's nothing to be learned from it, then maybe the answer is to just stay away. Uh But I also think that, the channeling thing can happen. I was involved in a phenomenal horsemanship organization called Perelli Natural Horsemanship, and they had a saying in, that, in their instruction that said, do less sooner rather than more later. And the thought in the horsemanship world was that if you um, could see where the horse was going awry from what you were intending, that if you caught it sooner, it was easier to correct and ask for something different. It, it's basically like another really good metaphor that I heard from another instructor in their course was apparently when NASA launches a, a shuttle or a spaceship uh, in their navigation, if they, th- it's constantly correcting. Like yeah. I forgot what it is every few seconds or something course correcting, because if you, if you don't do that, and now you're off course 50 miles, how, how are you going to get back? It's way harder to get back on course that way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very true with anger. Like if you course correct way earlier, it's much easier to do. If you allow yourself to get involved in all these crazy discussions and, and that are fueled by hate and violence and you're adding to the fuel or you're just taking it in. And that's that's another thing, garbage in, garbage out. Remind me of that in a second. But if you catch yourself sooner, it's much easier to bring yourself back down and not let the escalation happen. So it's very much about less sooner rather than more later. And then the garbage in, garbage thing out is basically back to the good wolf food. You know, pay attention to what you're letting in your brain, pay attention to what you're paying attention to. There are very skilled people that are trained to get you to pay attention to their stuff, whether it's, you know, on the Internet, whether it's Facebook or they're very skilled at it. They're very good at it. They're, they make a significant amount of money to capture your attention. Attention is a commodity now, but it's yours to decide what to do with. I think if we became more intentional about where we put our attention, a lot of this would probably just naturally go away. And which brings me to another point. Sorry. I think mindfulness is highly underrated in this country. Um, and there are a lot of different forms of it. You know, you don't have to sit on a cushion with your legs crossed and your, your fingers in a circle. There are many different forms of how to do that. But the, the basic idea behind it is really to train your mind to put your attention on a particular thing. And when it wanders, which it will, because it does, because that's how we're wired, just put your attention back on the thing that you intended it. It's about training your attention to be intentional. And it's very useful when you practice it with some regularity, it envelops all the rest of your, it infiltrates all the other areas of your life. And it's, it's very much like if you go to the gym and you practice and you're doing strength training and you're, you're physically overcoming an obstacle every time you do bicep curl, right? That translates mentally and you get accustomed to yourself being able to overcome an obstacle. It's the same thing with mindfulness. Like you, when you practice Intentionality with your attention, then you get to do that in areas where you might have otherwise just been sucked into something.
0: Oh, I think that you've made some really, really interesting points there, Corinne. One is, you know, how manipulated we are by our anger. And as you say, these people are professional at provoking your anger, they know what's going to push your buttons. And so sometimes that's A family member, right? Who knows how to get a rise out of you. But it's also professionals, right? Professionals on television or politicians or, yeah, just people who are messing with you. And yeah, I think we're not, I don't know if it's a lack of training or just a lack of awareness, but we are so vulnerable to that, right? I mean, it's just terrible how people are so easily manipulated into getting enraged about a particular topic. And yeah, so if you find yourself getting mad, I think it's worth asking yourself, who wins by having me get mad about this? Mm -hmm. Because it could be that someone is, yeah, taking advantage of you and kind of tricking you, you know, I mean, we know this, politicians raise money on the back of anger, right? Mm-hmm. And then the second point that you make that I think is so great is it's almost like a habit. So if you always are giving in to these things that trigger that anger, you feel as though you have no resistance to it. But once you start building up some resistance to it and start being more awake about what's happening, it's easier than to draw back from those things that make you angry, So, yeah, I think those two things are really important points. I'm glad we had time to get those in.
1: Just to tag onto that real quickly, Jennifer, um, as you do that, as you exercise your intention and your attention, what you just said about, you, you know, that you as you do it, you get better and better at it and then you don't get stuck into it. It also gives you more sense of self control and self agency and when you have that you're less likely to be frustrated by the things you can't control. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a pause it's an upward spiral when you start to do that it's really worthwhile.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, well it's been so lovely to talk to you and I think this is going Thank to be you, one always. of the yeah, one of the most uh, useful podcasts we'll put out this year. But before I let you go, is there anything you'd like to share with the audience about your work or your book or really anything you're up to?
1: I would love that. So I, as Jennifer said at the beginning of the podcast, have a company called the See It Station. What that's about is seeing what you are intending to create in your life come to fruition. I do personal coaching, seminars, workshops, that kind of thing around that Uh, as an added bonus to getting involved with me in that way, that all of the proceeds from that business go to fund and um, sustain uh, my other passion project, which is called Cal rock ranch for girls that have survived trafficking or some similar trauma. And so anything, any proceeds that come from coaching sessions that you would do with me or workshops or seminars, that kind of thing, it all goes to fund the ranch to help these women that have gone through these horrific traumas, uh, learn how to train their minds and, uh, make, make choices that facilitate them not only surviving, but learning how to thrive and flourish. And so those uh if you can you can check me out on uh, seeitstation.com and you can check out the ranch at calrockranch.org.
0: and I'll be sure and put links to those in the show notes also for listeners who are don't have a piece of paper and a pencil to write it down with and then I just want to make one last plug for Corinne's book which I really think is such a useful book it's quite short it's just packed with content. I think every page has something useful to take away and uh, incorporate into your life. And it's called Useful Questions, A Guide to Self-Coaching. So thank you for writing the book, Corinne. and, And thank you so much for the work that you do.
1: Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you for helping me to get that into the world and for all the ways that you made all the work I've done better. Thanks.
0: Thanks, everybody, for listening. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to check out the show notes for additional information about this episode. And give us a like or a thumbs up on Podomatic or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'd also love to have your support on Patreon. And get in touch. We'd love to hear from you through the Internet or Twitter or whatever means works for you. And finally, thanks to Caffeine Creek for the theme music.